questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. It is not often that I get the opportunity to interview another truth seeker with his own radio podcast. His motto is, Belief is the enemy of knowing which is 100% compatible with our goals of uncovering the truth here. You may have seen his videos of lunar waves and many other astounding HD clips. He's interested in many topics, and tonight we'll try to dissect many of them. His goal is one, like me, to uncover the truth. Greetings, I'm your host, Mal Fabregas. And to listen to this interview in its entirety, subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Tonight's special guest is known worldwide as Crow or Crow Triple Seven. He holds a degree in internet technology and has been working in the digital field since the 1990s. He was also a U.S. Marine during the first Gulf War. And we have a lot more on his bio right on our website. His website is Crow777Radio.com and Crow with two R's. And it's also linked at our website. He joins us from somewhere in east of the Mississippi. Hello, Crow, and welcome. Finally, welcome to Veritas. How are you? <laughs> hey, man. Thanks for having me. I'm actually in the great state of Rhode Island, but uh, thanks for having me on, man. East Coast. Well, I wanted to keep you anonymous because you're pretty, you know, you don't put your face out there, your name, and I totally understand why. But, you know, first of all, it's it's a great pleasure for me to interview somebody like you who does your own podcast, and, and you discuss many of the topics that we discuss here. You know, when somebody interviews me, they always ask me for my journey, how did it begin, and so on. And I like to do the same thing with you because you're you're here in your first time. How did your journey begin and why? Well, in the modern era, uh, it was because of telescope work. But basically, since I was very young, I didn't do so hot in school because I've always questioned everything. Um, but I think what you're asking me is, how did I come to the modern path? And that started uh, on a supermoon uh, when my nephew and I were looking through my telescope with no way to film at the time, and we saw these black triangles transiting the moon, and that's really what launched me on the trajectory that brought me to where we are now. Now, these waves, I've seen your videos, and I think that you've used sometimes two different cameras, so people can't say, well, it's a camera glitch, because it's happening at the same time with two different cameras. For those who haven't seen those waves. Can you explain what you're seeing? Yeah, it looks it looks a bit like an old 70s VHS tape refreshing. Right. But um, the truth is the very first one that I caught in 2012 at the fall equinox or very close to the fall equinox, um, anyone who actually takes the time to examine it can absolutely prove that the camera didn't do it because if the camera was producing the wave, then any movement in the camera should be locked to the wave. And not only that, the wave goes out of frame and then catches back up to the camera. So from, from the outset, it's been provable that it's not camera malfunction. Have you had any so-called experts contact you? And, of course, I presume that trolls have been flooding you with saying that's just a glitch. But what have you concluded so far? What is that wave? Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess if you want me to identify exactly what it is, I would still at this point be speculating. I have my suspicions. Um, but you first asked me if I'd had any kind of like official response. And some years back on my channel, I put out a call to all my followers to contact their local observatories. And, uh, 
have them review the clip and make a comment. And many, many people did this. And one single observatory, I always think it's like in Norway or Scandinavia or something like this. I just don't remember anymore. Uh, made a very terse comment out of all the places that were contacted. And they said it was clearly atmosphere. Um, I would again point out that a camera has a thing called depth of field. Um, and so if we are to accept the NASA model that the moon's nearly a quarter of a million miles away, that means my camera is focused on an object nearly a quarter of a million miles away. So for the lunar wave to be in focus uh, would dictate that it's much closer to the moon than it is to me. Um, I don't accept those distances, but just for the sake of argument, that also informs us of something. Let me also begin by saying that we're going to be discussing a lot of topics that some people get uncomfortable when we discuss here, uh, flat earth being one of them. And by the way, neither Crow nor I want to be called a flat earther. We don't like to be put in any silo or group. We're independent thinkers. We're asking, we're simply asking questions. The distance, you mentioned the distance from earth to the moon, to the sun. Do you believe in the distances that we have been given by NASA and the rest of them? No. Um, in my view, the moon and the sun are much closer. Um, you know, here's one for folks to think about. Whenever you see or have seen filmed a solar eclipse, what you're being told is going on there is that the moon's coming between uh, the Earth and the sun. Now, it perfectly covers the sun. And uh, so we're told, what, the sun's something like 93 million miles away. We're right. told the moon's something like a quarter of a million. I think it's actually 340,000, I forget, so around a quarter of a million uh, miles away. And so yet we have this perfect kind of alignment where the moon doesn't just kind of cover the sun. I mean, in most cases, it perfectly covers it. And I would point out that there have been many statisticians that have gone at this and said it's frankly impossible for random events to have caused this. And that's just something for people to think about. But as I began to spend time, uh, thousands of hours, filming the moon through a telescope, using binoculars, watching it, uh, many things happened over the course of probably close to four years. And over that time, you begin to get an experiential kind of knowledge that you can't really get any other way. You can try to explain it to people. They're not really going to get what you're talking about because they haven't put in the endless hours staring at the moon. One of the examples I used was there's a a white crater that you can see on the moon uh, when it's near full called Aristarchus. Yeah. Anyone can go look this up. It's roughly 40 miles in diameter, um, and it's listed as a naked eye object. And so, uh, you know, I asked people, should we be able to see uh, an object 40 miles in diameter at nearly a quarter of a million miles away? You can do the math and make up analogs, you know, put something on Earth that far away and imagine that the atmosphere is perfectly see-through, could you see these objects? And the more I began to do this, the more I came to the conclusions that nothing about the, the solar system model we've been told uh, by the space agencies is correct. But you've been watching the moon daylight, nighttime, every single light possible. Some people say that the moon is a hologram. Some say that it's transparent. Some say that... Uh, you know, you see so many versions. To me, it looks like a solid object. What is what is it to you? Well, when I first started to try to describe the lunar wave, I used the word hologram. That's unfortunate. Um, people immediately got hung up on the technology of, I guess it would be called holography, yeah. I'm guessing. Um, and so I realized very quickly that that was a poor way to try to describe it. I then called it a facade. Um, I went through a few iterations. What I now say 
um, is that the moon is not a rock in space um, and that in my view you likely couldn't walk on it if you wanted to um, and that's the best I can do for now and the problem with that is, is a lot of people aren't satisfied with that answer but the truth is if I go any further than that I'm, I'm, I'm speculating beyond your wildest imagination. I hear you. What about the moon having its own light source? Yeah, I think that's quite possible. Um, these are tough things to prove. Um, you know, it's a bit like uh, the Matrix idea. Are we living in the Matrix? Well, I've considered this, but how would you ever prove that? Um, I've spent lots and lots of time thinking about what kind of a construct could I build to try to prove that one way or the other. So the moon giving off its own light, I've done a lot of things. I've taken prisms and I've, uh, you know, broken apart sunlight onto white paper. I've put that same prism behind my telescope without an eyepiece to concentrate the moonlight, shot it onto paper. Um, they look similar, but they don't look exact to me. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not really enough. Um, and I'm just at a loss. I'm not sure how you would go about emphatically proving beyond dismissal uh, that the moon is generating its own light. I may think of a way at some point. I just don't have it now. What about the people who have, the, I don't know if this proves that the moon, you know, emits its own light, but they have proven the change in temperature when they put an object in the shade and they determine the, the temperature and when they put it on, you know, moonlight and the temperature drops. What does that tell you? Well, this is another one of those things where there's absolutely something to look at there. Um, but for my money, I think a lot more people need to do experiments and people with higher education should get involved. Um, when that's been done enough times, I think we really start to get a foundation. But clearly, clearly, there's something there to see. Um, it has been demonstrated that it's quite likely that moonlight is cool. But again, a lot of people need to go at this. It's a bit like the Flat Earth Movement. You know, it's not something that I'm ever going to join. I'm never going to call myself a flat earther, but I appreciate watching all the people challenge certain aspects of things that don't seem like they should need challenging when in fact they probably really do. What bothers me the most from both sides is that they attack each other. You know, those people who are looking into the flat earth, let's continue doing that. I don't see a problem with that whatsoever. And there are many, many compelling arguments. And to me, one of the biggest arguments, and I, I am I know people are getting bored for me saying this. I have a, a second home in the beaches of Mexico, and I can see Baja from my house. I can, you know, in the afternoons, and I've, you know, I, I went to Google Earth, determined the distance about 90 miles away. The, you know, the top is about, you know, 5,000 feet altitude. It's impossible. Completely, that mountain should be completely invisible to me. Now, that's one of those compelling arguments that keeps me looking at this issue well there's you can't dismiss it we can see too far there it is the curvature model that we've been given the you know eight inches squared per mile calculation is incorrect um, we can prove this in any number of ways i finally proved it for myself looking across a body of water um, but that doesn't give us a new map of the world that doesn't give us a picture and as you said uh, so many of the flat earthers come and they pick fights with the people who are not flat earthers and vice versa and you know i've said for a long time this is a in, in the modern age joining groups is problematic and this is exactly why because you could have a hundred people that call themselves flat earthers that don't want to fight with anyone that just want to try to demonstrate a truth one way or the other yeah. And then you get one guy in that group that goes out on YouTube and causes trouble, and that whole group suffers. Um, and this is the problem with groups. 
Well, it, it becomes almost dogmatic. So that's why, you know, I don't like to belong to any group. I want to do my own independent research and I move with the evidence. That's why I have you today because I've heard some of your podcasts and you have great evidence about other stuff that I want to explore. But, you know, let's let's go to Apollo, the Apollo mission. I call the Apollo mission a 150 in today's money, billion dollar giant hoax for man- mankind. What's your take on Apollo? Uh, it's all demonstrably nonsense. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, we came to a point, I don't know where it was, sometime around the turn of this modern century, I suppose, uh, when things started to change. Maybe it's partly because of the information flow. Maybe it's because as human beings, uh, we're awakening. But what was passed off in 69 and the 70s and so many people swallowed, um, anyone who wants to now in the modern age go back and examine these things, you'll quickly understand it's just nonsense. There's not any portion of it that holds water. No one's ever been to the moon. Um, and a lot of people that want to hold on to that dream will say things like, well, then clearly there's a, a secret uh, space program and and they're doing things they're not showing us and and my you know that's a bit like using a myth to try to substantiate a myth in my view um you have no basis to make that claim you have no basis to even think that's possible what we have is evidence that they lied about everything they did um that's what we have not only that but sometimes you tell people you know why haven't we gone back to the moon and i like to dissect this even more uh, because you know it should have been commercialized by now, almost 50 years later. But every time you talk to a ufologist and you mention this, the first thing that they say is, oh, it's because they met aliens on the moon and we were told not to return. That is the biggest one I hear all the time. Well, that's there, there's no basis really for aliens either. Uh, you know, I just did a recent podcast on modern ufology. And let me make it perfectly clear. I can't tell you what may living creature may be in our universe if there is such a thing. But what I can tell you is nonsense that is demonstrable nonsense. And the modern ufology movement is filled with it. Um, gray aliens, we tracked them back to H.G. Wells. Um, H.G. Wells has come up in a number of our shows. He's a sci-fi writer. And not only that, he has links to the Tavistock Institute. Um, the, uh, the modern idea of reptilians. Uh, was attributed to a college professor in, in modern times. I can't remember, recall his name, but he lifted it from Conan the Barbarian. Um, and people will come in and say, what about the Emerald Tablets or the Caballion, whichever one it is? Um, and they'll try to keep these things alive. But what we can do in the information age is track things back and kind of build a timeline. And Jason and I on my show do it almost every episode just to demonstrate how the timeline has developed. And it, so many times when you look at things in this way, uh, you can see the nonsense on the face of it. Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, L. Ron Hubbard, all these people, in my opinion, just created the science fiction we know today. And all of a sudden we say, oh, look, Jules Verne, he talked about submarines and rockets. And we have rockets and we have submarines almost as if they were the, the, the forefathers. Same thing with uh, dinosaurs. I, I forgot who. I think it's a British uh, author or scientist who discussed that uh, before. 
Well, yeah, I mean, these sci-fi writers invented so many of the things that we have today. They're attributed to the royal circles. They're attributed to hanging out at places like Tavistock, uh, which is responsible for so much of the social engineering. Um, but in the case of things like satellites, um, in my view, there, there's nothing in space. There is no man-made machine in space. Satellites are nonsense. Arthur C. Um, Clarke, wasn't he the one who coined the word satellite? Yeah, it was either Arthur C. Clarke or the other guy. I always get him confused without Jason here as my my wingman. <laughs> Sagan or, or Clarke? Yeah, no, not Sagan. Uh, any, I think it's Arthur C. Clarke. Um, Isaac Asimov. Yeah, he's always the guy. I think it's Arthur C. Clarke. Um, but, you know, you have these guys. It's a bit like L. Ron Hubbard, you know, another sci-fi writer inventing a modern religion. These are all nonsensical things. And in the case of dinosaurs, I just did an episode recently where I flat out claimed um, dinosaurs were made by a knight which means he was a servant of royalty, um, the royal house that knighted him, and he invented them before there had ever been a single shred of evidence. And when you follow the timeline out, um, you know, many people hearing this, will their head will spin. But I'm sorry, dinosaurs is a fantasy. They never existed in this world. Every time, every time we discuss this topic, I have to say that whenever I've been to big museums in New York, in London, and I asked the people there at the museum, can you show me some real bones? Oh, I'm sorry, but they're put away somewhere. And why is that? Well, we just don't want people to be touching them. Not even a single bone that you can show me of a, of a real dinosaur. What does that tell you? It tells you a lot. Not only that, you know, in the episode we recently did on this to kind of out the fraud, and we're not the only people doing this. There's a lot of people around who have been going at this. Um, there's actually a corporation in China that is making whole hog money uh, making replicas. And they even on their website, they state they're using things like hippo bones, crocodile bones, giraffe bones, whale bones, um, and then they're casting things out. But not only that, there's never been – a single dinosaur skull discovered anywhere. There's never been a complete dinosaur skeleton discovered anywhere. And to top it off, you point to one of the most troubling aspects of this all. You've never seen a real dinosaur bone. What you've seen is what's called replicas uh, put together in museums. And Plaster. it's just big business. Yeah, it's big business. It's what it is. Um, it's nothing more than business. And, you know, it was funny because it was some years ago the first time I heard someone make the claim uh, that no dinosaur skull had ever been found or displayed uh, or inspected by someone without a vested interest in dinosaurs. It wasn't long after that I saw some engineers in a chat room basically breaking down that these are impossible things. If you take things like this brontosaurus and these other just massive creatures, um, they were saying things like their guts would fall out, their rib cage couldn't hold it in, their, their leg bones could not support the massive weight. And that set aside the whole idea of how does a creature that size eat enough grass and weeds and other things. They were pointing out, you know, cows got four stomachs, this type of thing. What's a brontosaurus got 60 stomachs, you know, but when, when you get through uh, open-mindedly looking at everything, there's really only one conclusion to come from. And if you follow the timeline back, you'll see that a knighted person from the British Royal House uh, invented dinosaurs long before anything, tooth, fragment, toenail, anything had ever been supposedly found. One of the explanations that you get is that maybe, maybe with the expansion of Earth theory, that gravity was not as powerful as or as strong as it is today. And that's why dinosaurs and bigger you know, mammalians and reptilians used to uh, inhabit this planet. But the one thing that we see evidence, and I've even received pictures from Iran 
a few years ago after an earthquake, somebody, one of our listeners who, whose father lives there sent me some pictures of female skeletons, nine feet tall female skeletons unearthed after that earth, earthquake, which tells me that there were giants that inhabited and walked this earth yet. Well, Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.